on earth are we? Why in heaven are we here? And how to make sense of this mess of our humanness and perhaps even transcend it? Welcome, everyone. From whatever nation, state, or emotional state you might be in, dawn of an era of well-being is the place to tune in. We're going to deep dive into uplift with insight. And I'm thrilled to welcome our two formidable hosts, two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, Professor Irvin Laszlo, who's a world-renowned philosopher and system scientist. He's the author, co-author, or editor of 101 books that have appeared in a total of 23 languages. Um, he has also written several hundred papers and articles in scientific journals and popular magazines. He's a member of numerous scientific bodies, including the International Academy of Science, the World Academy of Arts and Science. He's the founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest, and the recipient of various honors and awards such as Goya Peace Prize, the Assisi Mandir of Peace Prize, the Luxembourg Peace Prize, and received honorary PhDs from the United States, Canada, France, Finland, and Hungary. Oh my. And then Fred Sow, a business leader, futurist, practitioner of Eastern wisdom and Western science, author and chairman of the Family Business Network's Ambassador Circle, and founder of ITEA Institute and Octave Institute, where ancient wisdom and quantum science are fused to create a platform for people to achieve a purposeful life that's mindfully lived at new levels of consciousness and freedom. These are formidable hosts indeed. And before we begin, I always like to start each episode by acknowledging our worldwide audience for whom some are lucky enough to be thriving in this remarkable new environment, but for many, it's still quite challenging. Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing podcast and book hopes to offer a real comfort to the global community, helping us awaken to a new paradigm and a new era of well-being. We encourage you to not only read the book and hear the podcast, but to feel them, to start awakening your senses to different ways of perceiving beyond just our eyes, just our ears, because this is the space that Irvin and Fred refer to as consciousness. That's our comfort zone for the long term. So before I introduce today's remarkable guest, Jude Curvin, let me ask you this, Irvin and Fred, because we're going to talk about the cosmos. We talk about oneness and that we're all connected. So as we delve deeper into the universe with space exploration, might we discover cosmic ancient artifacts and who should they belong to? And if the cosmos is in fact a living mind, then what happens to its mind when we're destroying our planet, or at least our species? Does it have a, like a, a nervous breakdown? Is that something that we could even refer to in the cosmic mind? Irvin, would you like to start? Well, I'm sure whatever intelligence is behind evolution, that intelligence is suffering when we are reversing the natural course of evolution on Earth. We should be promoting the evolution of life, of consciousness. If this is not a purely chance event, then whatever is behind motiv motivating this development is, is, is damaged by what we are doing what we have been doing inadvertently. Of course, what, it, what counts is what happens in our consciousness. We could be doing this inadvertently. We are not doing it. We are not trying to damage the Earth on purpose. I suppose with very, some very small in, insignificant exceptions. But we are inadvertently creating unlivable conditions or very limited li li living conditions for a smaller group of, of, of living beings. So I think there is there must be some some sense of of uh, damage having being done, some sense of regret. But of course, we are products of this evolution. We ourselves, the evolution itself, cannot cannot damage itself or cannot be sorry for itself, as it were. But we are conscious products of this evolution, and we can rectify this this different this damaging way of moving forward. So I don't know. This is pure speculation, of course. 
uh, Alison, but it's it's I would think that we are hurting the spirit that has created us, and that spirit somehow is suffering at this present time. As I said, this is speculation, but it's a sense that I have that what we should be doing is not only in our interest, it's in the interest of all life, it's in the interest of all evolution. Beautifully said. And, and uh, I'm going to swing that over to you, Fred, before we go to Jude and hear what she has to say about this. Do you have a feeling also about our impact on the cosmic mind, the, the living mind? <clears throat> well, the according to we uh, Chinese uh, um, cosmic view, you know, human being together with the Tao, which is the evolutionary energy, and the, the field itself, and then Earth are creating life. And so human being is equally as great as them. But human being, if you think about it, we are creating life, we're creating a human uh, form, which evolved from simplicity to complex human form, and the most conscious, uh, conscious thing on Earth. But this conscious thing is creating an 8 billion people living system. And this conscious thing, which is highest creativity, uh, putting a pile of metal and making it into an AI robot that are more conscious than a pile of metal because they can move around. And if they have a solar pack, they can live forever and they can even repair and build other robots around. Not human but an extension of human consciousness where we can create material into more conscious thing. So it is very mind-blowing what human beings are doing in this new era and capable of doing this era. Only thing is, in the material era, we are totally um, entrenched on the creation of material era, which that did great thing. And that is our consciousness is always floating on the on the iceberg on the top level where the receptors and us the our regular consciousness are drowning us in there that we are not aware of our subconscious and unconscious level which is the foundation of iceberg even psychology they found out now um the whole thing about uh evolution is we always evolve against the direction of challenge so therefore, no pain, no gain. If you're not suffering, you don't awaken. So the suffering is for the awakening. So, yes, we are suffering. But this is a perception because the what it's created by the consciousness is a perception of form. It's an illusionary structure of energy vibrating together. So even the sensory uh, information are a illusion structure form there is no real impact however it's the nature of the energy field to become lighter and higher frequency and evolve and so we are expressing it and through the separation human consciousness we are able to evolve think about the field is not moving well how does it evolve well, it has to create the energy to make into a separation piece, including our consciousness, to start moving things around, and then you can have possibility of changing things. So in the area of, uh, of no form, everything's holistic. There can be no change. So the wuji, the field, can have no change. However, if in the age of form, it's like yin and yang, there can only be change. And so this is very interesting how the no change field create an all change materiality to change and evolve, express itself, and then return back to the net. Well, otherwise, how does energy transmutate? So now we think about it, this is suffering, but suffering is good for awakening. And so maybe it's just really God's will to make us awaken, to give us some suffering. And otherwise, why would we be doing what we're doing right now? Why would we be talking about what we're talking about? Why would we be caring about the Gaia? Right? But these yes. sort of suffering exactly. is not suffering, but the creation of perception of challenge that we have to move. 
The most important thing we have to know from a Chinese perspective is awakening, shifting consciousness. Mm. Well, this is an exciting note to pivot off of and introduce uh, our awakened guest, if I can say that, Jude Curvin, cosmologist, planetary healer, futurist, and author. She's a lifelong researcher into the nature of reality. She has a master's degree in physics from Oxford University, specializing in quantum physics and cosmology, and a PhD in archaeology from the University of Reading in the UK, researching ancient cosmologies. She has extensive experience and knowledge of world events, international politics, global economic and financial systems, and future trends also keeping up with the latest scientific discoveries across many fields of research. She integrates leading-edge science, research into consciousness and universal wisdom teachings into a holistic, whole-world view. This underpins her work aimed at raising awareness and facilitating transformational, sustainable resolutions to our collective and planetary issues. Well, Jude Curvin, welcome. We're going to talk big today, cosmos and then some. Um, would you, I have so many questions to ask you, but would you like to now address the idea of the cosmic mind as having a kind of breakdown due to our own um, tampering with our own destruction here? And hopefully our resurrection, <laughs> I'd rather focus on the positive. What do you think? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you, Alison. Thank you, Irvin and, and Fred, for inviting me into this exciting exploration today. Um, a couple of thoughts for us. I certainly agree with both Irvin and Fred that what we call the reality of our universe is more of a, a, a mind, a thought, than a thing and that our universe indeed um, as a, a, a consciousness um, evolves, exists and evolves as a unified entity. And my own work really goes deeper into its evolutionary impulse to show that it doesn't just exist and evolve as a unified entity, it actually exists to evolve, as we're already starting to share in terms of simplicity to complexity. And I'd really invite us through our conversation today to expand the notion of living and life to encompass the entire universe. And when we look at the evolutionary impulse of our entire universe and that of Gaia, our planetary home, throughout the last four, four and a half billion years, what we've seen, not so much as what's often called punctuated equilibrium, which is sort of steady, steady, you know, evolutionary processes followed by a, a catastrophic breakdown um, and then a recovery. What we're actually seeing are evolutionary pulses, in my view, from simplicity to complexity and individuated self-awareness. So when we track those pulses over four plus billion years, we see that there's a point within the evolutionary arc where the, 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 the Gaia and, and her evolutionary children, her biological children, almost come to a point where there's a, there's a slowdown in their potential to evolve further. And that's when we see a breakdown. And that's when we see a breakthrough. So it isn't an either-or. The breakdown... So it isn't an either-or. The breakdown is serving that evolutionary impulse and then the breakthrough of the, of the new. So it's rather more like a metamorphosis where a caterpillar has sort of, you know, got to the end of its eating everything in sight and moves into a cocoon phase. Its own life cycle has become non-evolutionary. It's come to that completion of its own impulse. It breaks down. And as it does so, the imaginal cells of the emergent butterfly start to form. So I, I, that's where I feel we're at now. We're, we're rather than seeing where we're at as a crisis, perhaps we can reframe it in a more empowered and hopeful way as a potential metamorphosis of our conscious evolution. Mm. I think this is incredibly important, given that, I mean, one of the themes, ongoing themes in this podcast series is how we have been 
almost force-fed so much negativity and drama and disaster scenarios in relationship to our really our growth spurt. And this is a remarkable time. So I think if we reinforce the remarkable rather than the disaster, it will help facilitate our, our adolescence into maturity, a next phase of maturity. I want to ask you something, Jude. Given the speed of space exploration in relation to our species' current maturation and the real possibility that intelligent life beyond our planet not only exists, but that we will encounter it the more that we probe the cosmic depths, do we need a new paradigm not only for terra firma, but for the great beyond, so to speak? I mean, how important is it to adapt to new paradigm living down here in order to intelligently handle that future possibility out there. Because if we're all one, whose airspace are we now going to abide by the more we stretch our physical outer limits? What do you think about that? I, I think that's an incredibly important and very timely question. Um, I would suggest that we have already made contact um, with extraterrestrial intelligences. Um, you know, working with indigenous communities around the world as I do, theirs is a more natural and long-standing experience of such engagement and communication. Also, we have many, many um, stories through recorded history and possibly before of such engagement. Um, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. For me, uh, we talk at Whole World View, which I co-found in 2017, we talk about acting local, which is really important, where we are, what's in front of us, what are our communities, our friends, our families, our, 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 you know, our close world. Act local, feel global. So we need to expand our, what Einstein called, circle of compassion to include you know, the whole of, of our planetary home and all her children. And then to go even further and think cosmic because thinking cosmic as Irvin and, to uh, and Fred do all the time as I do too that offers us a new narrative because it offers us a new narrative of a holistic framework for all that we are you know cosmology has always asked the question who are we where do we come from where are we going why are we here and has sought throughout history and prehistory to answer that question in the biggest terms but cosmology is the narrative when we have what i think we do have now the convergence of science and spirituality into an emergent whole world view of a conscious cosmology an evolutionary cosmology then we can also take that very big out breath and bring it down naturally into the fullness of our lived experience as human beings. And that for me is incredibly empowering. And, and again, as I say, timely for, this, for the situation we're now in. You know, let, let me just come in for a moment. Wonder... Alison, can I come in for a moment? Yes. Okay. Yes, I, would, I was just going yes, to turn I, I'd like to have some dialogue please. with Jude, you see. Uh, she, you have, Jude, she has said so many important things. One of the things that is so critical, you have just said it, you, then you went on. You said evolution is we not only evolve, we, we not only exist and evolve, we exist to evolve. That is absolutely mm. crucial. I'd like to get into that a little bit and to deeper. The idea of that the, that the universe evolves is I think we have to distinguish it's not the same as the cosmos evolving. I mean, already Fred was talking about the, the, uh, the, the field mm -hmm. which doesn't change and then there is the, the, the area that changes. It seems to me the universe is an expression of something that is happening at the, at the, at the deepest level, which you can call the cosmos in the sense of the Greeks who mentioned, who, who meant by cosmos the totality of all there is. Now, do you know that the, mm. at least the current insight is, and I wonder how, you, if you share this, you probably do, that the universe was born sometime, probably 13.8 billion years ago, but that's the universe. The cosmos, once it pre-existed, the universe will probably come to an end 
one of several ways that it could be coming to an end, the big crunch and or the big freeze or whatever, or the eternal <laughs> balancing on the, on the razor's edge. But the, the, the universe is not eternal, eternal. The cosmos is. Can you speak a little a, a little louder, yes. Urban? Because the, I, I'm missing some of your very important things. The cosmos yeah. is eternal. The universe is not. And the universe is not. Right. Now, the way that the universe has evolved, the very fact that it has been born, it has emerged in the cosmos, and that is evolving, that has surely something to tell us about us. First of all, it has something to say mm. about the evolution of life. For a long, long time, up till about a few decades ago, and, and conservative areas still maintain this, that the whole area of life, the phenomenon of life, is accidental. I, I think it's not turning out that life emerges wherever it's possible, wherever there is a niche, physical niche, even near, near, near hot stars, amazing things, near volcanoes on this earth, etc. So there is something happening here. And when you say that, that we exist to evolve, you are saying that there is a purpose behind it. That we, we, there is, our evolution is not purely by chance, and it doesn't just go anywhere, it doesn't just happen. It happens for a reason. And that is absolutely essential for us to recognize what could be that reason. We not have to put it in terms of a God willing it and ascribing it an extra, extra natural in, intelligence. But there is something in this evolutionary process in the universe which comes to the fore in every element, in every aspect of it. So to know this, it's very important to recognize that there is some element like this. And you as a cosmologist, you have, have looked at so much in, in depth, both at the evolution of the universe and the evolution of human civilization. What can you tell us? What insight do you have that will, that will tell us what is the natural way, what is the cosmic way to evolve on in this universe, on this planet? Because we have said goodbye to that. We have, we have evolved in a separate, self-minded, short-sighted, actually, way. How can we come back to it? If we have to know what there is in the depths of the universe, which is the evolutionary impetus, the force of evolution. What is your insight into this? This would be so essential to discuss. Thank, thank you, Irvin. And, and as always, your timing is immaculate. <laughs> and the reason I say that was that was the exact same question that I was asked in Glasgow at, at COP26 a few days ago. What is it? How can we attune with and align with the evolutionary impulse of Gaia and our entire cosmos to flow through us, to serve that great impulse that we stand together at the bow wave of. And I spoke a few words because I was asked, how does this translate from a death economy? And of course, our economy has been based on materialistic separation, as have all our social structures. How do we transform that into a life economy? that aligns and attunes with Gaia, our universe, because I wholeheartedly agree with you, the cosmos is infinite and eternal, but our universe is a finite, great thought of its, of its, its, its consciousness. So there's a few words. I invited when I was asked that question, what would a transformation from a death to a life lived, experienced economy look like? I invited Gaia's guidance. And as a life-giving mother, I believe, and I know that Irving, you do, and, and Fred, I'm sure you do too, she has profound wisdom uh, that's valuable for all of us. So the words that came through, living a life economy, which is about whole being, even beyond well-being is whole being. She only uses the energy needed for all she achieves. She fits form to function with underlying simplicity, exquisite beauty, and intricate precision. She recycles everything, and with no waste. 
She shares and informs, in other words, meaningfully informs her skills locally and globally. She embodies purposeful collaboration through her biosphere, appreciating healthy competition and encouraging holarchic cooperation. She exalts in diversity, unity in diversity, and knows it to imbue resilience and collective genius. She exists, evolves, and thrives within the holistic limits and emergent opportunities of her planetary Gaia sphere. And moreover, she's done so for more than four billion years. Ah, oh, that's breathtaking. Jude, that is breathtaking. And it goes to the soul, one would think, of every living being, every human being. But I'm curious what the reaction was at the COP26 when you spoke those words. What kind of audience reaction did you have? And if you could stand before the, the world leaders and not speak to them, but ask them a question regarding why they've chosen their particular trajectory thus far, what would you ask them? What would you like to ask world leaders? So my first question is, what was the response to this remarkable, uh, these remarkable words? And then if you could not speak to the world leaders, but ask them a question, to pivot them in the right, right direction, what would you ask them, for example? The reaction... Or am I putting you on the spot? The, the reaction was a lot of tears, a lot of deep realisation, deep remembering that we are all children of Gaia, that we're all part of her, you know, Gaia sphere in this way. So these words are words that are also in my next book, Gaia, Her Story, and certainly they are bringing people mm. to tears of that realization and also very practical because what i one of the things i revere about gaia she's rather like my mum she gets on with it she just gets on with it she's incredibly practical within that deep deep wisdom so for me these are these are this these are way showers this is guidance that if we can hear and listen we can really support transformational change in the world, not just into a life economy, but in every way that we can live as whole beings. Um, what I would ask the leaders, I would ask them what mm. they feel makes them human. Ah, I would, I would relish the opportunity for leaders not to be only spoken at and accused, but to be asked of, like you're just saying now. I, I, to me, that seems like such an important um, aperture for conversation and to get to the deeper levels of what motivates people. And leaders are, after all, humans. And, and to, to that, I, I want to ask you something. If, in fact, DNA is coded um, our DNA is coded with, with ancient wisdom and the wisdom of, of consciousness. Why are we living predominantly from our opposite instincts since epochs? And how, how do we know that, um, well, I think I'll just start with that question alone. And when, at what point did we veer off course and why? Because if this is such a, an attractive storyline, I know you have talked often about a new storyline, why isn't this storyline more captivating to us than the destructive one that we've been following for well, so long? Well, let's get for a moment, get back to your question, yeah. Alison, and then I'll get to Jude also. What would you ask your leaders? Yes. I think it's to clarify. What do you want? A little louder, what, We have to clarify. What yeah. do you want as a leader? What are you, what are you yeah. here for? The current mm. answer and the well-meaning answer is the ethical answer, is here to serve. But serve what? Mm. Serve the narrow pecuniary interests of a small majority which supports you, to have elected you. That seems to be what politics is actually doing. 
serving mm. society, your society, your country. That seems to be what patriots and nationalists are doing. Maybe not enough either. What are you serving? Serve, are you serving humanity? And if you're serving humanity, mm. do you think you can serve humanity without serving the whole ecosystem in which the whole sphere of life in which humanity is growing up and, and evolving and, and getting its, its life breath? So really, the question is, who are you here for, you know, as a leader? Mm. You know, that is somehow, unfortunately, nobody asks that seriously because it's assumed that the political leader is there to support his or her party. If, if it's supposed to be above party politics, then to support his or her country. And that's, you know, as fine as far as it goes, but it doesn't go far enough. What do you want to support? And that is a question of the worldview. What is, what is evolving on this earth, you know? Just one species, humanity, that is you have to be concerned with, or is it the whole web of life that is evolving together? Gaia, as Judy, as Judy is saying always, you know, that's whole mentality. Why? Why are you being? Why are you a politician? What is your ambition here? You know. So I think this, these are questions that are fundamental. It links evolution with politics. Politics is to evolve to help us evolve. But it's not just to help gain us power over the adversary. And that's what seems to be what politics today is. So perhaps, Jude, can you say a few words to that, mm. to the, the, the real good leadership, governance, governance on Earth, in view of the fact that we are here to evolve, as you have said. What does that imply for governance? This is critical. And this is critical, again, not only for the dynamics that are playing out right now on Earth, but as we are moving at the speed of light into the stratosphere. You know, we've got so much space exploration exploding and so much um, nationalistic interest that seems to be asserting itself. I mean, it's an exciting, dynamic time, no question. But that we're also teetering on a very dangerous precipice, aren't we? Because there is competition now for space rights and, and for minerals, perhaps, that we're extracting from asteroids. I don't know where the limits uh, will be set, but it seems that we really need a new paradigm for space, which is in effect, a new paradigm for Earth, because we are all connected, right? And I don't know if, if Fred, if you're here, but being also a business entrepreneur, do you have any thoughts about um, the dynamic of leadership vis-a-vis uh, -vis the cosmos Absolutely. and the new paradigm? Um, if you think about leaders, and leadership's a two different thing, but a leader must have a vision, otherwise where he's going. Then a leader can set the leadership and trigger the followers own creativity to jointly create the division, the shared vision of the leader. So today you have to look at the vision of the leader. And I look at a low world and look at different leadership, but one has to really notice the, the vision of China and its leadership. And it says like that, it says, <clears throat> for the realization of the common destiny of humanity, that you have to do a cosmic view of oneness. And in the Chinese tradition, that means you go inside because cosmo is inside you so that you become connected with your inner soul. Then you have to take a worldview of harmonizing coexistence among nations. You have to collaborate and create among diversity and you have to achieve goodness as your ultimate morality. And the vision is to create this characteristic, this vision, this, this worldview, socialistic market economy. The Chinese believe market economy is the right way. It's a wrong kind of market economy because the market economy is not consumeristic, not individualistic, not capitalistic, but socialistic market economy. So 
If you look more, there's a lot of vision. They talk about what confidence we need to do. And now you see them managing business. That the business not do good, they get rid of you. And they talk about the third redistribution, which is the latest thing. And they call on a goodness economy of goodness in capital and goodness in business in what they call the third distribution for joint and holistic prosperity. I think the Chinese concept of well-being is the holistic well-being that Jude is talking about. You cannot be well if the universe is not well or Gaia is not well. You live among it. Life is everything. Everything is life. It can only be well if all is well. And so, if you think about a socialistic market economy, it's like watching a painting. You look at Chinese painting, and use these mountains and everything. This tiny person is in there, and sometimes you look another painting. The person is huge, and there's some mountains behind it. Now that's called reality and perspective, right? So when you see yourself as this little tiny thing of this big mountain, you see the Chinese painting. And you know the right perspective that you exist in that context. Therefore, I think vision and leadership is together. Without a vision, there is no leader. Without leader, there is no leadership. And in a quantum field, the modern society is always trust complexity. So so is also organization. And the only way that we can manage. Complexity is that we have to rewire our whole neural wiring so that our habits is collaboration. Our mindset is all characteristic of humanity, so our personality is rewired to be ultimately very high level of neuroplasticity. So the future of education and human development. Is going to fully develop our mind, so we can manage ever increasing evolutionary organization of complexity. Wow, this is powerful, D Fred, Jude, Irvin. I'll ask all of you: Do you think that we can? Because we know that education rewiring a mind. Uh, can take time, although perhaps we're in such an accelerated phase that time is on our side. Hopefully, the wind is in our sails. But can we keep pace with our own necessary growth in relation to the, I'll say, almost the egoic drive to, you know, go into AI and start to put chips in people's heads and create hybrid humans and all kinds of phenomenon that. Could be remarkable if they're used to help us, but also really detrimental to our, I think, our equilibrium individually and collectively if it gets the better of us. So, how do we address this speed of light that's changing us from our changing it in a sense? Jude, any thoughts on that? Last thoughts we can say for now. <laughs> <laughs> I do, yeah. and thank you, Irvin and Fred. Those those thoughts were really insightful and really helpful. I, mm. I'd just like to go back a step, if I might, Alison, because you asked a question about mm -hmm. how did we get to be here, sort of thing. Right. And you know, I I would not judge any of the journey so far because mm -hmm. I see it as part of the unfolding evolutionary impulse of the entire universe and Gaia. Two. Ever greater complexity and individuated self-awareness. So I think a time came in our story, 500 years ago, when there was a, an impulse to see clearer the physical world, and so natural philosophers, scientists such as Newton, started to do that process. But of course, at the same time, that involved a schism between, if you like, our spiritual. Sense of who we are, our inner sense, our spiritual sense of who we are, and the so-called outer world beyond us, and that schism has continued and driven so much in terms of this perspective of materialist and, and, and separatist worldview, and that has really brought us, as 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 Irvin and, and Fred and we all know, to the edge of catastrophe, 
but it's brought us to this edge. And at the same time, throughout that, that process, progressively, the masculine attributes and voices were heard and the feminine attributes and voices of our collective psyche were peripheralized. So I feel now we're at a point where we've stretched that perspective as far as it can go. It clearly is unsustainable. It clearly, if we don't transform it, we will likely become extinct. And yet I also feel that we are in the midst of a birthing process, a birthing process that potentially can birth, as my dear friend Barbara Marks Hubbard used to say, homo universalis, a universal human, a sense of belonging to ourselves, to Gaia and to the cosmos. And we've always belonged. We've just forgotten we belonged. So it seems to me that we're on this cusp, this bow wave of both breakdown and breakthrough into this transformational perspective where we now have the evidence that reality exists or the universe exists and evolves as a unified entity. We have the evidence to show that we're inseparable and we're waking up to remember that. So it seems to me that with all the challenges, we also have huge opportunities to literally come together, to remember, to co-create this new narrative of oneness, of unity and diversity. And going back to Fred's point about leadership and vision, I heartedly agree. Um, and for me too, what that involves, if we're gonna do this as a human family, does involve this holistic, whole world view of who we are within our universe. It also involves an evolutionary purpose. What are we here for? And we're all saying we're here to evolve our consciousness, our awareness. And then thirdly, what are, from that sort of coherence, that superorganism coherence, then we can embody as distributed intelligence, the genius of who we potentially are. And the final thing I'd like to add in terms of leadership for me is to bring the best of masculine attributes with what I call feminine attributes of servant leadership, not of role modeling, but of soul modeling, where we attune and align with this evolutionary impulse rather than try and direct it or control it where we hold it and shape it and, 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 and stir it and, and love it, and love it. Because what I feel we now have with all that's coming forward in this holistic worldview and a cosmology of consciousness is the science of love. The science of love showing us this profound fundamental interconnectedness and ultimate unity of all that we call our universe, all that we call Gaia, all that we call who we are. So what an amazing, exciting time with oh all these challenges for us to come together with this potential, mm. this metamorphosis, this potential of birthing our conscious evolution. And that can happen. I, I it doesn't have important. to happen for yes. all of humanity at the same time. No, it doesn't. It's happening because we are creating nodes, no, it centers, nuclei. This program is one such nuclei. Yeah. This, the institutes, the two institutes that are behind it, the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the IETA Institute of, of, of Shanghai, uh, they are together creating a new, for creating a new paradigm. If we can create this here and there in various places, these nodes will be the critical mass that can expand and can carry the way. We can become the new wave. Absolutely. Not only COVID-19 has waves, also the positive thinking, constructive thinking has waves. And we can, the, the, the time is right because the, the crisis, the global crisis, both the virus crisis and, and the global heat up crisis 
and, in, and the and refugee crisis and all the rest that we go visit are giving us this opportunity, the, 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 the disturbance, that perturbation that pushes us forward and pushes us here and there. New ideas are crystallizing, new ideas are coming to the fore, new ideas are, which are old ideas because they are recovering many of them, rediscovering them, the, the, the truths finally of who we are. And as Jude is always saying, who we are, and that we have a purpose, that we are part of this evolution. That recognition coming to the fore will answer the question that Alison asked, can we make it in time? I think we can, because the process is very fast. Our consciousness is not separate, not separate from our body, but not separate mm. from your consciousness, from each other's consciousness. If we can pick it up here and there, lead reach that level of intensity where we are finally changing our also our behavior, where our thinking penetrates into our actual, be, actual acting on this world. That becomes contagious. Then this new culture, the culture of love, the culture of oneness, the culture of evolution can spread. It's beginning to spread. It's spreading now. We have to further it, promote it. And I welcome this program, this series of podcasts, because based on our book on, on, the, new, on the dawn of a new era of wellness and related writings for, for all of us, all of our guests here, Jews, Fred, mine, we are, we are creating a paradigm. We are ac actually just expressing, articulating a paradigm, a way of thinking that is extremely timely. And because it's timely, because it's supported by evolution itself, by Gaia, Jude would say, it can spread. So let's create these notes, these conscious notes, the programs on the internet, the educational programs, the communicational programs, where people can talk to each other, create the means for bringing forth the new mindset. That, I'm, I believe, it will spread. This is our times, task, this is our purpose. And we can live with it, we can go with it. And this is a fantastic historic opportunity. We should be thankful that we live on at this time. This is so exciting and inspiring and reassuring for people. And this is the kind of energetic that we've got to filter. If the media isn't going to do it, we're going to help them. We'll do it for them. Jude, before we conclude today's show, can you just talk a little bit to us about your new book, um, a little bit more about your new book. It sounds very exciting and very necessary and timely. Th thank you, Alison. I'd, I'd be delighted. Well, first of all, I had the, the evolutionary impulse, as Irvin might know, for something called the Transformation <coughs> Trilogy, probably 15 or more years ago. And out of that came the first book, which is called The Cosmic Hologram, that Irvin kindly wrote a beautiful foreword for. And the cosmic hologram tells this new story, this new narrative, or begins to share it with lots of scientific evidence across all scales of existence, numerous fields of research of a universe that literally exists and evolves as a unified entity, where supernormal phenomena are natural, where our intuitive superpowers are natural, where consciousness is the basic stuff of reality that the appearance of our universe emerges from deeper non-physical realms of cosmic consciousness, intent and, and, and awareness. But that book's about understanding that. And I also realized, and going back to I think what Fred was referring to earlier as well, is to really transform our worldview and to live in, in these new ways. We not only need to understand this new narrative, we need to experience it and embody it. So the second book of the trilogy is called Gaia, Her Story. And again, Irvin's <laughs> written me a beautiful endorsement for it. It's out next year. But it takes this perspective to a universe that exists to evolve, where from the, for the last 13.8 billion years, our universe has embodied this great evolutionary impulse from simplicity to complexity. And it began not in the implied mm. chaos of a Big Bang, which wasn't big and it wasn't a bang, 
but the first moment <laughs> of an ongoing big breath of purpose, mm. of meaning, of yeah. ever greater embodied awareness. And so that's yeah. coming out next year. And the third book is about us. It's called Many Voices, One Heart. And it's where we are mm. perhaps now, where we can be, you know, with wonderful guides and, and pioneers such as Irvin and, and Fred as companions to this great journey. Mm. So Gaia, her story has very little about humanity because it's Gaia's story. It's the universe soul's mm. story. But we appear right at the end. <laughs> And we appear right at the end to say, we're here, we're here, we have some possibility, some potential here. And then many voices, one heart, I hope, will explore this incredible opportunity for us to be the imaginal selves, to come together to embody the emergent butterfly of human consciousness in an evolving universe, on an evolving planetary home we call Gaia. Amen. Yes. <laughs> or, You've or already Irvin, sold two a, books, or, or a women. Or a women. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to revamp. <laughs> well, this is, uh, again, such an inspiring note to conclude on today. I mean, who needs a sixth mass extinction when we can have a sixth mass evolution? And we mentioned this in our, in our conversation with Michael Tobias uh, in the last episode. And I think we're just going to rebrand the entirety of possibility for humanity and all species. So here's to that. I thank you all so much for today's compelling discussion. I'm Alison Goldwyn with our hosts, Irvin Laszlo and Fred Sow, and today's very special guest, Jude Curvin, inviting you to join us for more episodes of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing. And consider this, that the holiday season is fast upon us may not feel like a holiday for many, and this book makes a wonderful gift of uplift. The bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us, so when building a new paradigm for humankind, let's try to include humankindness. Stay tuned and stay attuned. Thank you for joining us. Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute, ITEA Institute, and Select Books. It's produced by Nora Cesar and Kenichi Sugihara with theme music Chimera by Biba DuPont. The book, Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing, co-authored by Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Sal, is available wherever books or e-books are sold. Please subscribe to Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing, the podcast, on Apple or Spotify for more fascinating guests and discussion. My name is Alan. Alison Goldwyn, founder and creative director of Synchronistory.com, a future party for the planet broadcast live worldwide. Wishing you well-being till we talk again next week.